Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Genesis 42. So the sons of Israel came to buy grain, verse 5, among those who were coming. You can imagine the people from all kinds of lands were streaming into Egypt because You know, Joseph had not only interpreted Pharaoh's dream, but he had told the Pharaoh what to do. Save in the the seven years of plenty, store up enough grain, and then you'll be okay in the years of famine. And so people from probably every tribe, tongue, and nation were coming, flooding into Egypt. They were coming in. The famine was also, we note, in the land of Canaan, which will become the land of promise, or is the land of promise, will become the land of Israel. So charged by their brothers, they... These the, are charged by their father. The brothers make the trek across what's known as the Sinai down into the Nile Valley. And never in their wildest dreams or even their worst dreams could they imagine that they would meet Joseph. One writer says if Joseph was alive, he would be an obscure slave in some household or business or uh, Uh, you know, somewhere else. They were themselves awash in a sea of desperate, hungry foreigners flooding into Egypt. And uh, as they were approaching Egypt, they never could have imagined. In fact, there's implications from the language here that they believe that maybe he's already dead. They're gonna say to to, uh, what they believe is the second highest ruler he is, but they don't know he's Joseph. Uh, One of our brothers is no more. So here they come. And uh, maybe it was easy for them, easier for them to think he was dead. Now, Joseph was the ruler over the land, verse 6, and he was the one who sold to all the people of the land. Joseph's brothers came and bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. And when Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them. But he disguised himself to them and spoke to them harshly. And he said to them, Where have you come from? And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. So now this not so much chance meeting, but God meeting takes place. Can you imagine maybe the gasp that happened within Joseph's heart as he looked? It wasn't hard for him to recognize his brothers. After all, they were 10 Hebrew guys. They're all brothers, so they're probably similar, you know, they're similar looks, and they all had beards, right? And they're all together, and so Joseph had to gasp internally and and be going, wow, here they are. Now, why did they not recognize Joseph? Well, Joseph was older. He went from 17 to now 30. He was clean-shaven. He was dressed in uh, royalty. In fact, we saw in the last chapter how the Pharaoh had dressed him in white linen, expensive linen. He had given him his uh, signet ring. He had given him a gold necklace. In all likelihood, Joseph looked like the Pharaoh. So if you have ever seen a picture of what a Pharaoh looked like or what his dress looked like, that's probably what Joseph looked like because he was basically the viceroy of this nation. And he had been given uh, these things by Pharaoh, even his signet ring, which spoke of authority. But Joseph looked like an Egyptian ruler And with all these factors, the brothers don't know that it's him. And so here they come, and they are bowing before him, and immediately Joseph had to be thinking back to his dream. Remember that dream? I've had a dream. You guys are going to end up bowing before me. And here they were. 
Now, it would be very tempting at this point, remember with the idea of what would you do, to say, aha! <laughs> I told you, losers. <laughs> Just go ahead and stay down there and eat some dirt. I'm Joseph. <laughs> Mask comes off. But Joseph is going to hold back. He's going to play it cool. In fact, he's going to put these brothers through the paces. He's going to test them. And I think he's also going to be tested. You know, when we're in a situation where somebody ends up coming before us and we've been proven right, sometimes when we're not always thinking very spiritual, we want to do something like this. I told you. Didn't I tell you that I told you? Right? And we might be thinking, you know, Revenge is a dish best served cold and Egyptian. Right? Here they are, these brothers. And think of how many nights he had where he replayed that moment where they sold him into slavery. Some of them wanted him dead. Who, who knows if they, he could be thinking, I wonder if they ever even thought about me again. I wonder if they ever thought about my sleepless nights and the rats I dealt with and the, you know, the, just the circumstances that they put me in. Man, there would be so much that you'd want to say. Maybe you just want to send a few guards in to slap them around a couple of times, right? <laughs> but Joseph has his brothers bowing before him, though they don't recognize him. There's a, there's a little play here, I think, in, in a prophetic picture that I don't want to push too far, but we know that Jesus Christ, when he came to his own, his own did not recognize him. There's some prophecies like in the book of Zechariah that say that there will be a time when their eyes will be opened, the scales will fall, and they will mourn for Christ. They will recognize him as their Messiah. But right now, largely, there's a uh, blindness that's happened to Israel. Romans 11 talks about that. And for them to bow before an Egyptian leader was probably not their favorite thing to do. In fact, in the book of Esther, remember Mordecai does not want to bow before Haman. We think that Haman actually is, his name is actually Haman. It's from the 70s, right? Anyway, Amen. But, um, the reason that he said he wouldn't bow uh, as I revisited the book of Esther was that he was a Jew. And remember in the book of Daniel, when Nebuchadnezzar sets up that 90-foot colossal statue, the, uh, the Jewish young men don't want to bow. And that some scholars believe the statue represented Nebuchadnezzar. But this was hard, and Joseph is disguised to them, and they are bowing because they're in a desperate situation. And so here they come. They have bowed before Joseph. But Joseph had recognized his brothers, verse 8, although they did not recognize him. The writer wants us to make sure we've got the picture that Joseph has the upper hand in every way. What would you do if they didn't know it was you? He was now ready to handle this, and, and I think you know he's going to try to handle it in a way that is going to prove out their hearts. Um, I think, you know, this is something I just want to read from my notes. It says, he was now ready to handle this meeting by seeing how God had worked out his plan to this point. 
He could better understand that God had used it all. Here's my thought. If this would have happened, uh, let's say that the brothers would have shown up while Joseph was in Potiphar's house or somehow had been able to visit him in prison, I think Joseph's attitude would have been different. It took 13 years for him finally to raise up to number two in Egypt and kind of start to put puzzle pieces together. Everybody with me? Sometimes I think God has us at a place where reconciliation can happen because we're seeing things more from heaven's perspective. If it was in the middle of this time, sometimes we say, why is it taking so long? Why isn't this prayer being answered? Why haven't I had a chance to do you fill in the blank? And, and, and sometimes, look, Tom Petty put it well, the waiting is the hardest part, right? But, but sometimes what happens is when we're in the, God's waiting room, he's doing something, and we're not ready to deal with something yet. We think we're ready, but Joseph was now more ready to see that God was working his masterpiece together. So they didn't recognize him but Joseph recognized them. And as I mentioned, he may have been anticipating this moment. We can't know for sure. If you find yourself right now in God's waiting room, can I just say, be of good cheer, hold on. Those who wait for the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles, right? So we can, we can wait and know that God is faithful. I'm sure that, J that Joseph probably replayed the why question many times, probably more times than he could count, as his brothers were kneeling there before him and he knew they didn't recognize him. He might have wanted to blurt out, why? I mean, we've all had that question come out, right? Why would you do this to me? I mean, there was so much that he had to hold back by not revealing himself, but he wanted to see their hearts. He wanted to see if there was regret. He wanted to see if they had changed. And he was going to press and fish and fish and press and test them to see their true colors. John 1.10 says, Jesus was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. They did not recognize Joseph, and the world that Jesus made did not recognize him. He came to his own. This is John 1.10 through 13. And those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become, what? The children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so Joseph remembered, verse 9, the dreams which he had had about them, and he said to them, you are spies. You've come to look at the undefended parts of our land. Now, we'll find out that Joseph is speaking through an interpreter. He knows Egyptian. They speak Hebrew. So he has the advantage of he knows what they say when they speak Hebrew, but they don't, they don't necessarily know everything that's going on with him. So here's what he says, and we find out it's through an interpreter. You are spies. Now, remember when Joseph brought back a bad report from his, about his brothers to his dad, and then dad sent him out again. And when he was coming from a distance, the brothers were out in the field and they said, here comes that dreamer, right? And I think part of the reading between the lines here or, or seeing something that seems to be here, and, and I think you, what you're gonna see is a pattern is that Joseph, as he tests and presses brothers, 
are gonna, he's going to put them through what he went through. And one of the first things he does is speak harshly to them, and, and he accuses them of being spies. I think that's what they thought of him. Have you come to spy for Papa, golden child? Here comes the dreamer, right? There was bitterness rising in their hearts. And so they spoke harshly to him and may have accused him of being a spy for dad. And he does the same to them. Hey folks, this is Pastor Michael Lance and this is Living Truth Radio and we'll be back to the teaching in a moment. I want to tell you about a special offer that we have available at Living Truth Radio. It's a book that I've written called Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God. It's all about spiritual warfare. It's all about how to overcome temptation, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And it's a special offer. Go to our website, livingtruthradio.org. Click on the donate button. And for any donation, we will send you a copy of that book. Just let us know in the contact form that you'd like a copy of that book. And now, back to the teaching. You know, life, uh, it doesn't always work this way, but oftentimes what we do to others ends up coming back to us. And we want to be careful. There are people out there that teach laws of karma and everything. Karma is not a Christian principle. But sowing and reaping is. Whatever a man sows, he will also reap. God is not mocked, Galatians 6, 7. God will not be mocked. Now, we don't always end up reaping what we sow because God is gracious to us and he forgives us. But a lot of what's going to happen to these brothers is going to come back on them as a test. And here's verse 10. Then they said to him, No, my Lord, but your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Can you see Joseph come? Your servants are not spies. Yet he said to them, No, but you have come to look at the undefended parts of our land. But they said, Your servants are 12 brothers in all. Now they go back to the family. They want to identify who they are so he knows. The sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is with our father today. That's why we're only 10. And one is what? No more. And Joseph. Is that one? Right there when you want to say, oh, really? But again, he holds his peace. One is no more. Remember the prophecy in Jeremiah 31 that is fulfilled in Matthew 2 when Herod kills the children and it says that Rachel is weeping for her children because they are no more. Now, could it be that they thought Joseph was dead. They, they say he is no more. Would it be easier for them to assume that he was dead? Possibly. Or maybe they're saying he's no more, as in he's not part of the family. But Joseph could be thinking, the reason that you've categorized me that way is because you sold me into slavery. I was away from my family for 13 years. I haven't seen my little brother. I haven't seen my dad. Can you imagine? Everything that you knew, and here you have the culprits before you. Was this a cover-up for what they had done for Joseph, for them to say he is no more? Were their consciences coming alive as they admit 
something about Joseph, though they don't let on, of course, everything that's happened. And Joseph said to them, it is as I said to you, you are spies. By this you will be tested. Now, in 42, 21, uh, they, would, they would not listen to Joseph's pleas. So if you look ahead for a second, just take a peek there. They're going to be talking to each other down in the, in the uh, text before us. And Reuben, excuse me, uh, verse 21 says, they said to one another, truly we are guilty concerning our brother because we saw the distress of his soul when he pleaded with us, yet we would not listen. So Joseph was pleading to them, please don't sell me into slavery. And they said, Pfft. in fact, the Bible says they had a meal while, they, while he was down in the pit. And now they're pleading with Joseph, we are not spies. And he what? Won't listen to them. You see, what he's doing is he's putting back on them everything that they did to him. And so he accuses them of being spies, and he says, by this you will be tested, 15. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not go from this place and yes, unless your youngest brother comes here. And I had to be looking at each other going, what? Why does he want our youngest brother to come? We just came here for grain, man. Why is this guy grilling us? What is going on? So he says, send one of you that he may get your brother while you remain confined, that your words may be tested whether there is truth in you. But if not, by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. Now Joseph's probably concerned about the welfare of his younger brother. He knows how these brothers treated him. So he's thinking, well, maybe the best way I can get Benjamin here is to you know, get one of them to bring him back. So he put them all together in prison for three days. Can you imagine this? What, what happened again? I don't know, this ruler, man. Maybe he's having a bad day. And prison cell shuts, and there you are in the prison. And once again, Joseph is doing to his brothers what happened to him. Can you imagine when the cell door locked them thinking, we're in prison in Egypt, and we may never see the homeland and our family again. They're probably going through exactly what Joseph went through, but not for three days. For Joseph, it was years. And now he gives them a little bit of time to think about and as they were in their jailhouse experience, the prison cell experience, do you think they started doing some soul searching? You think they started thinking about their brother? You think maybe God was speaking to their conscience? You know, we, we know that there's been a lot of people that have had jailhouse conversions, and I'm not gonna demean that because sometimes when you have a jailhouse conversion, you have no place else to go. And so... They usually give out Bibles and 25-pound dumbbells. So there you go. And people start reading the Bibles. And, and there, there have been people that have been born again in prison. And they've come to realize what they've done. They have time to think. Three days in an Egyptian prison provided sufficient terror-filled time for reflection and soul-searching, for hearing the siren of their conscience blazing all around them. Can you imagine? They started to realize, hmm, there may be something more going on here. They started to think, you know, maybe God is behind all of this. 
We've all had those moments, right? We have a bad day. We get a flat tire and we say, I don't know what I did <laughs> to deserve this, right? And sometimes when we do that, it's really nothing other than there's just, life just happens. But sometimes circumstances happen and God may be trying to get our attention. And certainly that is in the Bible. It's not always the case. But sometimes God does use these kinds of things. So Joseph said to them, on the third day, do this and live for I fear God. So he's given them a little taste of prison, but he's saying, do this and live. Do what I asked you. Go get your younger brother. And then he had to stun them. He's an Egyptian pharaoh. The Egyptian pharaoh, or he's second in line to the pharaoh, were believed to be gods themselves. And he says, I fear Elohim. They had to be a little stunned by that. You fear God? The one true God? Hmm, interesting. He says, if you are honest men, let one of your brothers be confined in your prison. Uh, but as for you, for the rest of you, go carry grain for the famine of your households. So he says, okay, here's what we'll do. We'll leave one behind. Just, just a side note. Some of you, this, this stuck out to you. Do this and live is really what the Torah so parts of the Torah say, and Jesus said this in Luke 10, 28, none of us can fulfill the law perfectly, but do this and live has the ring of the Torah. And um, it's just kind of an interesting side note. So he says, leave one behind, just like Joseph had to be left behind from his family, and bring your youngest brother to me, 20, so your words may be verified and you will not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, truly, now here's where it starts, right? Truly, we are guilty concerning our brother because we saw the distress of his soul when he pleaded with us, yet we would not listen. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. We saw his distress of his soul, and now we have distress. And now they're going, uh-oh. Things are coming full circle. This is coming back on our head one writer says, this is Walton, he says, we discover that in the 13 intervening years, the guilt and recriminations experienced by Joseph's brothers have enslaved and imprisoned them no less than Joseph's chains had done to him, or probably more. What I'm saying is they may have been more in chains than he was. You know, but he didn't know that, but here they were, you know, they did this terrible deed they did it in a moment of anger and jealousy and envy and now they had a life of regret 13 years now remember joseph knows their language so as they talk amongst themselves they think that they're just talking to each other but joseph can understand what they're saying and reuben answered and said did i not tell you do not sin against the boy and you would not listen now comes the reckoning for his blood. Now, this is interesting. Because by saying the reckoning of his blood, it's Genesis 9, 6. If you shed someone's blood, your blood should be shed. An early teaching about capital punishment in the Bible. By saying his blood, does that mean Reuben thinks he's dead? Possibly. And he's saying, now is the time of reckoning has come. I told you guys, I pleaded with you. Now, remember, Joseph hears. Now he knows that Reuben was not consenting with the plan. How many times did he revisit each brother's face and say, why? Why, Reuben? Why, Simeon? Why, Judah? Why? Now he knows one of the brothers was trying to save him. 
And a couple of them stepped up. I think Judah also stepped up at the time, but now he, he's hearing what they're talking about. He's seeing that their hearts are beginning to be revealed. They did not know, however, that Joseph understood 23, for there was an interpreter between them. The truth hurts, but there can be such a thing as healing pain. And sometimes, you know, have you been there before where you, you're in a church service, or you're in your car, something's just gone wrong, you just made a bad move, a bad decision, said a negative thing, not responded spiritually, and something comes on, and it just is like, <laughs> or Pastor Michael has a copy of my diary. He's got people following me during the week. We do. We actually do. We have people assigned to each of you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> right? And so the Holy Spirit says, speaks to them, and you're like, ow, oh, why did I go to church tonight? And, you know, uh, even though all these good things had happened for him, and he was elevated and had power and, you know, had a family and all of that, mm -hmm. um, you can see that he has to hide his tears, and he's really brokenhearted over seeing his brothers, and, and there's a lot of emotion there. And it still tells you that time doesn't heal all wounds because, you know, a lot of time has gone by, and yet he sees his brothers, and he's weeping, and, you know, he's very emotional. Um, shows you something about his heart mm -hmm. that he's he responds this way. Well, he was human, obviously, by, by wanting to get some kind of retribution towards them. But he was also compassionate because when he threw them in jail, he threw them all together. He could have easily put them in different cells or different locations separate from each other so that they can experience what he went through. And he keeps asking, uh, you know, and we're going to see this as the chapters unfold. He keeps trying to find out about his dad and about his little brother, mm -hmm. Benjamin. And, uh, you know, being a teenager, when he first was sold into slavery, he ends up in Egypt. God blesses him in remarkable ways, but still as a man, he wants to be back connected with his father. Mm -hmm. And and he's wondering if his dad has died. And then he wants to see his little brother. And I think it's amazing that this man who's gotten so much power shows us that the basics of life are really what matters to us. Yes. You can have all this power and prestige and position, but what's important to us is our faith in God and our family. Yes, as a matter of fact, and if anybody comes against us, whether it be friends or acquaintances, we can almost let things go to some extent depending on how deep things can be. But to have family come against you, that is a real hurtful thing, and it's a lot more, I guess... Um, tied longer than actually if it'd if it be an acquaintance that would come against you and hurt you. Yeah, the, I mean, the hurt goes deep there and people who have been through uh, being um, abandoned mm -hmm. or uh, forsaken or turned upon, you know, Jesus experienced that with Peter and Judas uh, being betrayed. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.